Hello everyone, my name is Daniel and this is the sixth Commune podcast on Metroid Prime Federation Force. I am joined by two other elite members of the Galactic Federation of the Galactic Federation's elite unit. Um, they are Greg and Adrian, and to introduce them I am going to ask them a question. And that question is of the three planets in the Bermuda system, what is your favorite and why? Greg. I'm going to go with Excelsion since I got the impression that it had the most of the standard type missions where you just go through room by room blasting stuff and occasionally finding side passages for mods. But uh, I don't know if that's actually accurate. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and Adrian, what was your favorite? Mine's is Talvania, and that's because... It was probably the more pirate-focused planet. Uh, Mission 10, Black Hole, probably one of my favorite, other favorite missions in the game. Along with uh, Phantom and Infestation. Just for the record, my favorite is Excelsion, because I think it looks pretty, and I'm a graphics whore. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, no, like, it really does look really pretty, so... I quite like it. And, of course, it has our favorite mission, Containment. <laughs> For this podcast, uh, we shall be talking about the bosses in Federation Force. We've actually already done a bit of this already uh, in some of the other podcasts, so we are primarily going to be focusing on seven of the bosses in the game that we haven't discussed so far. Um, and the first of those bosses is the Icehopper Nest, in the first mission outpost. Adrian, can you run us through the general setup of this of this boss? So the Icehopper Nest is a large purple trunk in the center of a room with an array of clam heads around it. Because the lock-on focuses on the center of the trunk, it emphasizes the use of the gyro in order to aim at those clam mouths that are scattered around it. Each of the clam mouths will open and close so it not only emphasizes, you know, aiming up and down, but also aiming side to side. And as you're fighting the ice hopper nest, other ice hoppers will come up out of the ground in order to mess with you as you try to take it out. So player roles are emphasized to back each other up from ice hoppers as they try to go after the main nest. The main nest itself doesn't actually only has one form of attack, and that's when all the mouths start, you know, cl- crunching their mouths and then they all spit out purple goop all at once. I think it's worth mentioning the goop only goes a, a short range, mm-hmm. so the boss keeps you at a distance, but as long as you stay far enough away, you're safe from its attacks. Yeah. The other thing as well is that this, um, as we as we talked about a few times um, um, before the show, the structure of this boss battle uh, is similar to the structure of several other boss battles going forward in the sense of we've got this circular arena with a column in the middle of the room um, and the player can lock on to that um, they can lock on to the column itself but not the individual um, target points on the column so in that case that auto lock onto the column um, helps the player in focus their viewpoint but then they still have to use the gyro to um, 
to fine-tune the aiming as well. So it's another um, example of how the game focuses on the gyro. Yeah. Daniel, you, do you want to take the next boss? Yeah, sure. Um, so, well, we talked about Ice Titans, and there's not much to say about them. So we're going to jump over to um, Mission 3, Smokestack. And the boss for this mission is called the Generator Core. And actually, before I talk about on the boss as well, I actually kind of want to extend what I was saying about that um, boss structure thing because the the entire structure of the first mission is the same as the third mission in the sense of the player starts off um, you know, sort of at a certain point, they move through a series of linear rooms, which within those rooms they break the players up and have them go on slightly different paths within each room. Um, and then there's a boss, and which is a boss, you know, set in a um, in a circular arena with a column in the middle. And then after that, there's an evac point. Uh, uh, after that, there's an evac, so you have to escape back to the ship. And as you're doing that, you get flanked by enemies. Um, in the case of Mission Three, you get flanked by the space pirates who um, who debut in this mission. Um, in Mission One, you're flanked by um, an ice titan um, and there's a little bit of variation on between those structures as well so like you get um, um, in the evac in mission three there's a timer where there's no timer in mission one um, and the boss which we'll now talk about um, the generator core you know that has multiple phases to it where it also uh, unleashes some gases um, as well so the boss has more uh, distinct phases but um, I know it's a bit off topic but I just you know I had to squeeze it in somewhere, so there we go. Um, otherwise, um, I might actually flip it over onto Greg to run us through this boss. The uh, smokestack? Yes. Okay. So when you enter the room, you get a cutscene where there's a giant tube in the middle full of Nickelodeon gack, and it <laughs> raises up into the ceiling uh, behind a protective cover. Um and so, unlike the first boss, you're forced into close proximity with the tube in the middle. And also unlike the first boss, the thing in the middle can't actually hurt you. Um, so what you have to do is you get in close, and uh, the weak points on the tube move around. They're just like columns, slits that are that are open in the tube. And you can shock shot to, I think, slow it down a little. And it will spawn the security bots. I think that's the name for the Metal Gears. Uh, <laughs> it'll spawn the security bots. And it's actually really important that you deal with those if you want the extra objective for the mission. Um, I remember at least once we got screwed over because... The boss would spawn the last seven or so security bots we needed, and we were just so focused on the boss that uh, we triggered his next phase, and the security bots went away and never came back. And that uh, and that meant that we couldn't then get the third medal. Yeah, right. So, I guess I I got ahead of myself a little. Um, once you, I think it's based on damage and not on time, but. Um, Either way, once you're far enough into the battle somehow, the boss introduces gas, 
And so you have to escape to these raised platforms at the edge of the arena, putting you in a place where you can't shoot the boss because the boss is still behind its protective lamp cover. I think Adrian <laughs> called it a lampshade, and that's about as accurate as we'll get to an analogy of his cover. Um, anyway, once you're on those raised platforms, there's missiles that shoot at you and Grim-class turrets. And I don't think there were ever any other classes of turrets. They were always Grim-class. Grim I don't know, that bugged <laughs> me. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, there's missiles that come at you, and you got to be careful and watch your map. And for us, it was really helpful if we could be back-to-back -back so that one person could face down one end of the arena and the other person could face the other end. Because in essence, the boss's cover creates a circular corridor that the missiles fly down, if that makes any sense. You guys think that's a sufficient way of explaining it? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Okay. So, uh, you know, we had three players, and a lot of the times, two players would manage to escape to the same platform, and then one player would be off on their own, trying to cover both directions. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of funny watching Adrian's video yesterday... Uh, of our first run of the boss, I was just confused, and <laughs> I was actively blocking Adrian's shots of the missiles. Uh, it was a little funny. <laughs> anyway, so after that, there's a repeat of the first segment, or sorry, the first uh, phase where you can go down and shoot at the boss, except there's no security bots. And uh, after that, there's another gas phase, but there, some of the platforms don't actually raise up, and so if you choose the wrong platform, you die. Uh, <laughs> the way I could tell which ones were going to fall was the way that the um, the ramps on the platforms were animated. Yeah. Other than that, I think that was the only way to tell. And uh, once you get through that last gas phase, you're pretty close to the end of the boss, or at least we were pretty close to the end of the boss. And that was that. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, I think you covered most of the points. Um, I'm not sure what the prompts are between the phases, um, you know, between the um, phases where you can shoot and the phases where on the gas comes in. But... Um, it is possible um, to use the uh, the shock beam, I think it's called, uh, to paralyze the generator and then squeeze in a bit more time um, to attack. So, actually, looking at the notes, I see that, uh, Daniel, you left a note. I felt that there were too many enemies in the later gas phases, but um, what were the enemies other than the security bots? Right, there are security bots. There is also... I flyers and the turrets are usually always on the outer shell. So, yeah, that's right. I forgot about the I flyers. Yeah, the I flyers and security bots are the two main enemies to deal with, and I flyers are pretty fast moving and erratic. So, they're their own pain. It's like a, it's almost like I flyers are like a dash of salt that you could um like Fed Metroid Prime's um shooting mechanics and Federation forces in particular lend themselves to very slow and focused enemies, like where you're using the gyro to focus on a 
pirate's shoulder pad or whatever. And iFlyers are just kind of a all-purpose way to vary the mood and have something fast to shoot at. Yeah. They're fast, but they're also incredibly weak, so they're the enemies that probably encourage the rapid, the rapid fire the most. Whereas, you know, other enemies like Space Pirates definitely emphasize not only fully charged shots, but also headshots, especially if you want to go for a high score. I flyers not so much. Uh, I mean, you still can attack, um, like you can charge shot the eye flyers, but it's such an investment. Yeah, it is. Um, and they might quickly move out the way. Mm-hmm. I think as well the uh, the slits in the in the rotating um, cover that rotates around the core, um, they're very similar. Uh, it's very similar to what will happen later on in the. Um, uh, in the transfer device rooms in the last three missions where you've got this um, over the three missions you've got a similar thing that's going on but there's a bit more variation with the um, with the weak points and moving up and down and and so on and so forth so the next boss is in mission seven cauldron and this boss is called Sorkin. it's a bit of a fish-like creature kind of similar to that fish-like creature in Majora's Mask, actually. Um, but I can't remember what that boss is called. George. In any, ca- in any case, um, Adrian, can you please explain this boss battle to us? Gotcha. So Sokken takes place on a rectangular platter on top of water. There's actually two Sokkens. So what they usually do is they will circle around, swimming in a sine wave-like pattern, and they will occasionally jump over the platform while dropping ice bombs, or stand upright, cough up a volley of an array of uh, ice projectiles that then home in on a, on a player at their current position. They can do this at the same time or independent of each other, so they can uh, layer their attacks in different positions and with uneven timings. The Sokken fins are vulnerable, but what you usually need to do is you need to use a gyro to aim ahead at where they're going to be so you can actually hit their their shell-like fins. Now, because all the players are, you know, stuck on this platform and there's, and there's two enemies, that naturally is going to divide everybody's attention so that, you know, two players may focus on one while another two players focus on another, and also because the ice projectiles can home in on a player who's, who may be facing the other way dealing with another Sokken, you often don't want to just strictly avoid the ice projectiles, you want to shoot them out of the air so you know another player doesn't get hit while they're looking the other way. I know I had to do that a couple of times during the fights with these guys. I also remember though that um, if you were careful about the map, you could tell um, you know, Sawkins about to jump out of the water, so look at the map and um, basically don't be standing under the pink dot. Yeah. Uh, not getting frozen by the ice projectile is also the bonus mission for this. So that's phase one. In phase two, the two Sawkins do polymerization and become one big super Sawkin. <laughs> so once again... It has that same, you know, sine wave-like movement when it circles around. 
so you need to aim ahead in order to shoot him. This time though, what it'll do is it'll it'll act like Jaws where it just leans on top of one end of the platform, tilting tilting and causing players to, you know, sort of slip towards his mouth, and then he'll try to gobble you up. So that's cool and fun. But also means you really need to be on your toes for when that happens, because you what happens is naturally all players will want to converge on the center in order to avoid him and then shoot him when he does that so that he doesn't eat anyone. Yeah, it's really neat how they have the um, space underneath on the player sort of um, tilt and move and transform in a way. And I don't think there's many other examples of that elsewhere in the game. Yeah. I honestly thought the the first phase was harder because uh, the two of them moving around, it was more chaotic with the uh, ice projectiles. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I think the second phase you can it's a bit more predictable and you can optimize and you can also like totally exploit the situation as well. Uh, you know, by using, um, shock or ice beams, um, to freeze the Sorkins, you know, once they're up on the platform. So, um, and, and then you just go to town with them. Mm-hmm. And, and the only really difficult, like the only thing that's really difficult then is making sure that you're not pulled in um, towards the Sorkin. Um, but that's not, too difficult, I think. Well, you say that, but we we did get eaten a few times. One of the things the sock Sokken in his second phase does is instead of jumping over the boat, he'll actually sort of slide across it uh, fairly quickly too, so that's another way that he can come in direct contact and damage you. So you really be on our toes for when he does that. And of course, when he slides and goes to the other side, he can easily just pop up and then start tilting the boat so that he can, you know, munch on you. Uh, I think this is also um, a mission that plays up the um, sort of a similar um, phenomena that we saw in Blender, where um, because the boss is moving around on the platform and there may be more than one boss or it's... um, and because the um, our first person perspectives are quite limited, it it's really independent on us and to work as a team and communicate the information that we know so that we can be better prepared to avoid the attacks. And so um, I thought that was a really uh, cool way to push the gameplay um, toward, or push the player dynamics um, towards um, cooperation and teamwork. Mm-hmm. Forcing it so that no one player can have a dominant perspective over the room because they're in the middle facing out. Yeah, it just leverages the um, the natural limitations of each player. And so it's like, it doesn't seem forced or anything like that. It's just um, a natural consequence of it being a first-person game having um, significant threats from multiple sides. And actually, I think... Um, these sorts of situations are made possible by like the slower um, turn speed as well. Um, like it's not like uh, Quake or any of those really uh, fast-paced first-person um, first-person shooter games. And so you're more, um, and so you're more um, moving is more of a commitment, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. I guess just one other thing I want to add is I mentioned that you could shoot at his fins that were on his head, um, but you can also shoot at his, you know, 
main body and shoot the shells off of those. So just another weak point. The fins are usually easier to hit though because they're much, you know, longer. This main body is fairly thin compared to the fins. Cool. That was a cool boss. Mm -hmm. So the next boss is in Mission 12, Last Stand, and this is another... Um, it's another mission that is dedicated to a boss. And actually, unlike the last mission, there's no lead up or anything like that. You're just in a giant open space and the boss is right in front of you. I, th I think this is the only boss like that, actually. Mm -hmm. Yes. Fair point. This boss is called Rocker Beetle. Um, <laughs> it sounds like some kind of song from the 50s. Um, and Greg... Would you run us through this one? Thank you. Sure. Um, first off, I don't know why it's called Last Stand. I actually don't know why any of these missions are called what they're called. Actually, it's pretty funny because uh, I think when the beetle moves, it's not even standing. It's like sliding on its on its, <laughs> on its stomach. So I'm not sure who's standing. <laughs> well, actually, no. I guess the idea. I guess the idea is that the Federation force are trying to um, um, prevent the rocket beetle from getting to like I'm, I'm moving too far forward and reaching something i can't remember what the thing is so it's like you know it's a, it's a last defense if that makes sense mm -hmm. yeah i guess yeah <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway so there's a, a giant beetle um and he's got four limbs he's he walks around like a turtle uh, or like a beetle, except with four legs, um, and a big old mouth. And what you have to do is you have to shoot out his four um, elbow joints, and after that he crumbles, falls to the ground, and starts writhing. And uh, his mouth is agape in pain, and you have to shoot down his gullet um, to damage him. After a while, he his knees heal back, and he'll continue on his way. And depending on how much damage you've done, he will be faster. Um, and so your goal is to not let him cover um, so much space. I, I, I know the bonus objective is not to let him get within 200 meters of the ending uh, of the... Uh, of whatever of the it is thing you're defending. Defend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how long the actual arena is. Anyway, your progress, like, uh, your distance from failure is measured in literal distance because it's how close the beetle walks to, um, the thing you're defending. Um, what's interesting about the beetle is that unlike a lot of bosses in the game, you can target his individual weak points, so you can target any elbow joint, and when he's down, you can target his mouth. Uh, and it's actually... Uh, not that gyro is irrelevant for the boss fight, but it's pretty light compared to the other bosses. Um, so as, as you continue doing damage, he gets faster during his walking phases, um, and he'll start spouting little eggs and they will either spawn a Gryptorax or a Shriek Bat 
if you let them sit long enough. And actually, eventually, once he gets far enough out, he'll start doing a giant laser beam from his mouth. Um, yeah. Jeez, I can't even remember that. Like, I think, I mean, because we really struggled on um, on normal. And yeah. We really, really struggled. And then on hard mode, we kind of like did really, really well. So. Well, so what happened is um, it got to a point where he was moving way too fast. We couldn't knock out his joints in time. And I remember just feeling like my circle pad did nothing because he would just be on top of me like that. <laughs> Um, so what happened, we eventually figured to start using ice beams or freeze beams, whatever the hell they're called, use the ice attack to freeze the boss when he's in his vulnerable phase and extend the time at which, during which we could attack him and lay on damage that way. And so we would just, uh, prevent him from ever getting to the hard part and, that was actually no mean feat because it you you don't get a whole lot of those ice shots, so you have to maximize a um, when you time them so that uh, you create the biggest opportunity for shooting at him, and also you have to figure um, you know when does the rocker beetle get genuinely dangerous and how far can we play without using the ice shot. Um, I remember it being a pretty tight fit, uh, <laughs> but ultimately done just just the right way. It was possible to preempt any difficult part of the boss. Mm -hmm. There's two points I'd like to kind of talk about in more detail uh, about that strategy that we used. Um, the first is to do with the joints, and it's true. Like like you can lock onto the um, onto the joints. And in some other bosses, that's not the case. Like, you lock onto a general area, but not the specific weak point. But, but, just, um, just sort of near the knee joints, there's these sharp protrusions, um, that kind of obscure direct access to the knee. So you have to, well, there's two ways, um, there's two ways around it. You have to either move around that protrusion, which means that you have to um, move yourself um, so that you're more face on to the joints. But doing that, it means that you're further away from the mouth when um, once all the joints go and the bottom collapses. Mm -hmm. And so you can kind of you know like waste some time doing that. But the other trick is to um, is to try and get the timing right. So that the so that your shots, um, in my case, I use charge shots, so that your shots just kind of fit in at the right time. Where's the tower? I remember it going. Um, oh, and you can also use a little bit of gyro. Yeah. So and there is a bit of leading as well. So if you can lead your shots in time with the animation, then you can kind of get around that protrusion without having to you know, be too far away from the front of the boss. It, it, is that the general idea, Adrian? Have I got that right? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, so you mentioned the two major factors, which was the protrusions on his knees, uh, especially when in his walk animation, when he's lifting his leg and moving it forward, 
also want to time your shot so you don't actually fire a charge shot as he moves his leg forward because then you you'll completely whiff it and also just preferably shooting when you're in front of him that way you can make it to his mouth faster I guess I'd also add that you can use the gyro so that you don't have to be directly in front of him to shoot down his mouth you can use it to shoot in his mouth from an angle at the side which is what I usually did as long as you're shooting in that black area then you're fine yeah you can actually shoot on like the side of his mouth so it's like the insides of his cheeks and that'll still count as damage and one of the reasons why you want to be careful from being in front of him is because once his legs come back, he will typically dash forward, which, you know, naturally is going to do a lot of damage to you. The other point that I want um to mention is um, the trick with the ice beams. And so um, I put in the notes that it's it seems like um, the designers really tuned the animations around the mouth. So... So once you destroy it on the joints, on the boss will um, open its mouth and then, you know, you do a freeze beam and you can keep the mouth open for a bit longer. But as Greg said, you know, there's not a lot of um, freeze beams that you can take with you into this mission. So you have to be quite conservative. And there's a trick as well. And there's a trick. So uh, and the trick is that, um, you know, you get rid of, of the joints, you freeze on the boss with its mouth, with its mouth open. And then it will kind of um, um, pull its head back sort of in pain. And just as it's doing that, there's a little window in there where you can freeze freeze the mouth again. And in that second freeze, access to the mouth or to the weak point isn't quite as um, isn't quite as good as the first time, but you can still squeeze in a second round of attack if you if you time that just right. And doubling up on your um, on your attack windows in every um, in every phase is what gets you to complete on the mission really quickly and I, and I can't remember what the times were exactly but we were way ahead of the um, uh, of the middle um, of the middle timer and we didn't even have to worry about any of the other stuff that came later on like the lasers and things like uh, uh, and things like that that is I'm to say after a lot of struggle and a lot of you know getting really frustrated we then figured out this optimal solution but um i really i think that's a theme throughout this game actually is that like there's the, like they really tune the animation and they fit it in with a gyro and it's really cool yeah that's what i find with the uh using the gyro to aim at him from the sides where you can get him in his the insides of his cheeks but that also comes because of making sure you don't accidentally hit his chin as he's moving, bobbing his head up and down. It's cool stuff. Yeah. Um, another example of the animation thing is just like like with the space pirates and with the more humanoid enemies, like they have the more, there's a lot of nuance to their movement. Like they'll move the individual body parts not just their whole body, and that further complicates the spatial and the timing challenges um, in in those shooting environments. A mm -hmm. couple of things for to wrap up uh, the Rocker Beetle. Uh, one is that the Grouped Araxis 
do not come out of the paws. Only the fire shriek bats do. Uh, the fire cryptoraxes actually just spawn up out of the ground during the fight with uh, more frequency the further rocker beetle gets the tower. Another point is the rocker beetle can also do a ground, sl ground slam that'll send a shockwave on the ground that can damage all the players. So this is going to be another recurring theme, but when you're fighting a boss or when you're targeting a specific body part, you don't want to get tunnel vision. You still need to pay attention to what's going on. Otherwise, you'll miss the cue that he's about to do a ground slam and then you'll get you know, caught off guard. So you need to watch out for that. Because you can still completely jump over it without necessarily needing to look down in order to see the brown wave come out. And that also the tunnel vision also applies to the fire streak pads, the pods, and the grifter axis. Uh, my last point was that um, in addition to the laser that Greg mentioned, that when you blow out his legs, uh, he and a sort of move of desperation, he will fire out a laser beam that you can jump over. But this is only when he's close to the end. This is a rare attack for us to see because normally we would kill him before he gets to that point. Another move he also does is let out a bunch of fart gas that forces you to back off and keep your distance from him. This is another rare move that uh, we never got to see because we would try to take him out as fast as we could before he could ever reach that point. Those are all my comment, remaining comments for the Rocker Beetle. There is one more thing I'd like to say, uh, and that is the, the cutscene at the end where um, you know, the crew, they killed the beetle, they turn around, you know, mission success, they go to walk off into the sunset, and then... The beetle comes alive again. It goes to body slam the Federation force, and then Samus comes in in her ship. Yeah, sends a few missiles his way, and um, there goes the beetle. And you know, like I kind of felt like it was a bit of a cop out. <laughs> like after all that struggle that we went through to have Samus come in and save the day, um, but you know, it says Metroid on the box, so they have to include Samus. And, um, so <laughs> I don't blame them, but, uh, yeah, just came at the wrong time. <laughs> I, guess, I guess actually one last thing I also forgot was that as the fight progresses, the rocker beetle will break out of the freeze, uh, much quicker. Like when, on our first time we defeated mm, him, yeah. it took me like, he burned through like three of my ice missiles. Just on that, Adrian, it's, I think that's why it's really important to capitalize on the earlier phases. Yeah. So, yes, the next boss. Um, so the next boss is all the way in Mission 14. It's another boss mission. Um, mission 14 is called Tremor, and the boss is called Cyanon. Oh, sorry, Cyanon. Um, and it is the Tetris Sphere boss, if you know the uh, N64 game, Tetris Sphere. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm happy to introduce this one. So, so basically, um, this boss is set in, um, I guess you'd say it's kind of like a movie theater setup where you've got um, the boss up the front um, and they're surrounded by lava. You can't you know, access any of that area, like you can't get up close 
to the boss at all. They're sort of like on their own stage um, at the front, and um, the players are all facing the front and um, trying to attack the boss. Um, so Sironon is um, a sphere, um, and the sphere is covered in um, Tetra's piece-shaped um, rock, and you use the uh, you you use the lock on and the gyro to uh, shoot out specific chunks of rock. In doing that, you reveal uh, another sphere underneath, which is made of metal, and there are holes within that metal. And through those holes, you can see a you can see a green glowing core. And by attacking that green glowing core, you are able to reduce the boss's health. And so, just this aspect of the boss, uh, it it depends on um, on your gyro aiming because of the sort of windows within a sphere nature of the boss in that you can only see the weak point through the windows on the sphere itself and so you usually have to move around strafe around to get a good perspective on the boss and then you have to adjust with a gyro um, because not all of the um, not all the um, empty panes um, allow you to get a visual on the on the core itself. There are two phases to this boss. Um, the first is where it's just at the front, at its stage in the movie theater, um, and um, it's sort of in the middle. And every now and then, on the side, there will be these um, these arm-like creatures that will come up out of the out of the lava and they will fire um, boulder projectiles um, onto the audience or onto the Federation force. Um, they pop up every now and then um, and they're, on hard mode they're really annoying because I think on hard mode the horizontal spread of those boulders is a bit wider and so well actually no, I'm just thinking it's more like a um, it's not really wider, but there's more, um, there's a lot, well, there seems to be more of these boulders being flung at you um, from the Sentinels, and if you get hit by the boulders, it can take like, well, on hard mode, it can take like a third of your health, and so there's, and there's usually two um, Sentinels that will throw boulders at roughly the same time, and there are a lot of boulders, and they cover a decent space of the um, available area, so they're a real pain in the ass. And uh, <laughs> I would use the the shield to counter, um, which was really handy. Um, so that's the first phase where you've got the sentinels that pop up out of the lava. Uh, oh, and every now and then um, the boss will send forward a wave of lava, and all the players have to um, jump over uh, jump over the crest of the wave. In the second phase, the boss um, enters into the, I guess you'd say, the seating area of the theatre, um, and it bounces around, and um, the players um, have to avoid the bounces and continue to uh, attack. And because the boss is close up and it can be unsurrounded, um, you know, this phase tends to um, be a bit of a shorter phase that you can move through a bit more quickly. And again, the freeze beam is really helpful in this boss battle because it means that you can you can keep Sironon um, 
in a fixed position where you have a uh, where you have a visual on the core. Uh, how do I say it? The like it doesn't always show one area at one time. Like every now and then, it'll randomly spin, and then you'll see like uh, another side of, of the sphere. So you don't always have um, visual access to where you'd like to be able to see. Um, and so you therefore have to um, freeze it so as to, again, prolong that period of time in which you can attack the boss. Whew. Whew. Okay. I think I maybe said too much there. <laughs> no worries. Um, I have a bit to back you up on. There's actually three phases. Um, oh, God. The one that... Well, you sort of just wrapped up phases one and two into each other. So the part where he dips into the lava and comes back up, that only happens in phase two. So the first phase, you can break all his pieces. He'll mostly stay put. He'll spin around every now and then, but you can take him out. In the second phase, mm. he gains the ability to go into the lava, come back up, and have all the, of his rock Tetris pieces on him. Uh-huh. In addition to the dragon head sentinels, which fire plasma beams. So now the sentinels can come in three forms. The one that shoot lob large fireballs, the volley of rocks, and which looks like a flower, and then the dragon head, which shoots these uh, plasma balls that home in on you. And they're also slow moving. And then the third phase is the one you described where the... This, What's his name? Oh yeah, Sirenon himself just says fuck it and then starts jumping on the field trying to st stomp you. I really should have read this um, section that Greg had in the notes called Characteristic Elements. <laughs> Sorry about that, Greg. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Uh, one thing I definitely want to bring up is with the unlike the other fights which occur in Arena, this one mostly has you facing forward. Uh, but one of the ways that they mix it up is because of those two sentinels which are there throughout the entire fight and are his major forms of attack with the exception of the third phase but even in the third phase the sentinels are absent when he's you know stomping around it's worth noting um yeah Siranon event initially comes off as one of those bosses who just has enemies around him to do the work for him mm -hmm. um but then in the third phase, he changes things up and actually attacks you with itself. Yeah. So unlike other fights where you're in a large circular arena, you don't really have to worry too much about, you know, your backside. Unlike the other fights, you know, like with the rocker beetle or against the hopper nest. So most, the main threats are always right in front of you. But here, they actually have probably the most, how should I put this, the most aggressive attacks. That is, they attack more frequently and have more, have some of the most complicated attacks in the game. The major one being the volley of rocks, because it just fires so many of them that you have to be godlike to shoot all of them out of the air. So what that naturally does is you're going to try to shoot as many out as you can to protect your other players and yourself and try to sneak into any space, any empty space that they leave. It, uh, I remember when we got all three medals on hard mode, we, um, we had Shouty with us. So there were four people shooting out rocks. Yeah. Or <laughs> four people available to shoot out rocks. Mm hmm So, well, in terms of perspective, it may seem simpler because everything's in front of you, 
Their projectiles also go up into the air, which forces you to look up more, which naturally diverts your attention away from Sironon himself. And because they fire with more frequency, those sentinels themselves are going to demand your attention because you want to take them out so that they can stop shooting at you. Um, so they don't, you know, fire three fireballs one after another. But even then, when you do that, there's only so much time afforded before, you know, another sentinel comes back up in its place. Because the sentinels regenerate throughout the fight. They're almost ever-present, I think. <laughs> yeah, uh, the bonus objective is to kill 20 sentinels. Mm -hmm. And that's actually almost trivial. Like, you gotta kill the sentinels just to keep the things simple. And I think um, if I had to design a bonus objective that I would really hate, but would also emphasize the skills required to beat the boss, I would say, like, uh, destroy no more than 20 pieces off of these, uh, off of Sironon's shield. Oh, oh. I, I thought you would do something like, don't destroy more than five sentinels or something like that, so that you have to... Oh, that would be interesting, too. Yeah. And here's where I want to draw a comparison with past bosses. See, normally when, you know, Rocker Beetle releases a pause, more enemies usually try to deal with the enemies so that you can make the challenge easier for for yourself, right? But with the Sentinels, um, there's only so much leeway that you can get with that. So that's why this fight is so much more challenging than the other ones because they're there the whole time. Another point I want to add is the the projectiles they shoot. The, the big fireballs they lob not only have a shockwave when they land at the ground, so much like the ice projectiles with Sokken, you want to take them out to protect the other players. If they target someone else and not you, even though you were the one who was designated to roll to shoot at them. So just because you're standing right in front of that sentinel, that doesn't mean he's going to shoot directly at you. He could shoot at someone way over on the other side of the arena. And because the fireballs are more bulky, it usually takes a fully charged shot in order to blast it out of the air. And actually what you're going to need to do is Blast it out of the air, turn your attention to the Sentinel, blast it out. But And of course that divides mm. player roles to where you're going to have usually one guy to each sen Sentinel, if they can afford the time, and then afford the time to focus on the Sironon. You usually have one player dealing with Sironon by themselves. Yeah, I couldn't remember what the strategy that we came up with in the end, but you've, you've mentioned just then. Yeah, the Rock Volley, uh, do not take a fully charged shot. Those are the ones that encourage more of the you know, your pellet spray. Yeah, so... Because it just tosses up a large chunk of them. So you usually try to look up and try to fire as many out as you can. So that's another way that it encourages a particular use of the shooting mechanic. And then the plasma balls, they're not as bulky as fireball. You can usually get rid of them with the semi-charged shot, but the difference is that there's, while they are homing and they're slow, it fires usually three of them at the same time. So imagine predicament you're in when there's two dragon heads and they both fire out three at the same time. That's usually why they demand so much of your attention because that's a lot of projectiles being fired on the damn field. So that's why this is one of the more intense fights is because of those sentinels always being around, usually firing at the same or uneven timings. Whereas in other fights you're usually dealing with you know, a shriek bat, an ice hopper, a sentry bot, etc. Is it true that in a number of the boss battles, 
the boss itself isn't terribly threatening, but the enemies around the boss are perhaps more threatening than the boss itself. I would say so, yeah. Really? I mean, that was the case for the generator core, but I don't know if too many of the other bosses fit that. Well, actually, yeah, Sokken is usually is actually just by himself, and there's also the Rocker Beetle, where he is still mostly the main threat, especially with that ground slam he can do. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's just an idea I thought I'd throw out there. Yeah, and technically, I believe the Sentinels are part of Sirenon. I guess one last thing is in the Phase 3, when Siron is stomping around, he does also release that shockwave uh, when he stomps. So it challenges player to be able to, you know, aim, shoot, and then also jump over him at the same time, uh, depending on how that goes. Next boss. Or hang on, any leftover or remaining comments? Nope. No, no, I think we covered it pretty comprehensively. We're going to talk about the mainframe in Mission 21. So this is the second to last boss of the game. And just a heads up if we don't mention it already, but uh, we will be talking about the final boss and there will be major spoilers. But uh, if you've been with us this far, then uh, you should probably be well aware of, um, of that. So mainframe. Um, mainframe is another boss which is, um, which is set uh, it's an arena, and it's set around a column in the middle. What do you know? <laughs> Greg, I choose you. All right. So um, mainframe is just like a stack of uh, either cardboard boxes or wooden crates. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, I think they look more like cardboard boxes. <laughs> right. But it's really dense cardboard, so if you shoot the outer covering, it just deflects your shot. Um, the boss is made up of four boxes, and each side of the box will open up, except for the top and the bottom. Like, you can't see the top and the bottom of any of the boxes. So each side will open up and fire lasers at you, and throughout each phase of the boss, your goal is to shoot at the inside of the box while avoiding the laser that it shoots at you. And there's a couple of ways they vary on it. Um, in the first phase, the boxes are pretty wide, and it, the lasers are pretty simple, um, so it's easy to shoot just because you have a large target. Um, I believe there's three phases in the boss fight, and during each phase, the uh, target gets smaller, and eventually, um, there are more lasers per boss or, sorry, per uh, box. And the lasers actually also have a slight homing aspect to them, which can make dodging confusing at first. Um, so anyway, uh, so eventually everybody knocks out all of the sides on every box, um, and the boss's core appears underneath all of the boxes. And you have a limited time to shoot the core, while at the same time the core shoots out these, like, lightning trip wires. So you're standing on an outside circle looking in at the boss, and it will shoot out a straight line towards you and sweep it around the arena. And you have to 
jump over it while still firing at the boss. And that's actually the bonus objective for the boss, not to get hit by that laser tripwire. So the slow beam is very useful, and of course, as always, the shield is very useful. And that's the boss in a nutshell. Um, the only other thing I remember from the boss is that this was where I remember learning about the linking property of the shock beam. If you shoot the shock beam at an exposed box, it will travel up and down the column and blow up any other open boxes on your side. And this also comes up in a couple cases with Grim-class turrets. I'm not sure it comes up any other place in the game, um, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, I remember it came up in High Tower, where we saw those um, drones, oh, yeah. and that one Japanese guy fired at it out, and he just took out a whole army at once, and we're like, whoa! <laughs> didn't know you could do yeah, that. Good luck shooting a shock shot that far away, though. Yeah. <laughs> True. There's a few things I, I might just add to your uh, explanation, Greg. Um, and I think in the second phase, those um, the beams that they shoot out, uh, in the second phase, um, they have a, I think they have a slight homing property, and they also come out earlier. Like There's not quite that delay where the box will open up pause and then fire it'll just open up and then very quickly fire straight after so you have less time to respond mm-hmm. um, and so those things made it harder to uh, avoid the beams and i found that in the uh, early on in the in the boss battle i would be you know aligning myself so i'd be sort of face on with the bosses but then later on i'd be a bit more to the side just so that i had a bit more leeway to straight out of the way and avoid that slight homing uh, I'm not sure if that homing actually does exist, but it felt like it existed. So, and uh, so it's worth mentioning when the box opens, there's like little flaps that open up, and they will block your shots. So if you're looking at the boss from an angle like Daniel would be, you have to make sure to use your gyro to aim uh, around their yeah. cover. Essentially, it's a bit like the mouth in the. Um... Uh, in the Rocker Beetle um, mm-hmm. boss battle as well. So, yeah. I definitely have a lot to say. In the first phase, when the tower opens, it opens all of them at once, which makes it very predictable. In the second phase, it's more random which ones open and close. So, say you can have two in the bob, two in the top open, but the two in the bottom are still closed. And then sometimes it even figure out where like parts where it looks like it opens, but then it closes back again so it can cause you to waste a charge shot if you react to that so in the second phase it's a lot more reactive because of that aspect and then in the third phase it actually gets wider so instead of it being a square it's like it's more rectangular in shape but the weak point is actually still the same size and that's the one where we we are probably thinking of it having a bit more homing because now it has a, a larger range to shoot at you as well as you to shoot it. But then it also shoots, you know, three lasers. So it'll go pew, pew, pew. Whereas in the first two phases, it just shot one. So I, I find advanced play with this fight, or at least what this boss definitely encourages you to do, is sidestepping shooting and then sidestepping out of the way and then sidestepping back in, fire real quick and sidestep out. Because in order to shoot him, especially in those first two phases, you need to jump in the line of fire, fire, then jump, quickly jump out of it. With the third one, because he fires 
while you do have that larger viewing angle, one, that's where he has his homing property, and two, he shoots three of them, so that one, more so, you want to sidestep, shoot, sidestep, shoot, sidestep, shoot, or sidestep, in, out, shoot, let's see, the, in the second phase, you know, once you destroy all the boxes, and then he starts using laser jump rope, in the first, in the first phase, they're in four cardinal directions, and they rotate, in the second phase, he at, there's another set of lasers this time above but but they only go in you know two directions but they rotate in opposite directions so you're trying to avoid the ones on the bottom while making sure not to jump into the ones on the top so it's a more complicated timing challenge and what you'll also realize and we you get a glimpse we this occurred in the previous boss where because the the boss can regenerate its defenses, you know, just like Sironon, where he'll dive back into lava to bring back up his, you know, rock tetrasphere shell. It encourages players to shoot at them more, be more aggressive. But this time, you have to do that while also jumping over and managing uh, the timing of the lasers. So, you get that same, or you get this more advanced challenges of trying to shoot him as much as you can while also jumping it's harmony that's the skill it is the one for your dexterity skills it's harmony harmonize between jumping and shooting and in the end uh, i think greg and i found that too hard and we just huddled up <laughs> uh, we huddled up under the one shield <laughs> and since the uh there's only three phases and the first phases uh laser jump rope is pretty simple you can cheese out the rest with a shield yeah. pretty pretty well something i noticed um but we didn't get to see as much because we eventually hit a point where we could one cycle uh the core in each phase was that he'll have the top lasers but also do this another like wave where it shoots out in all directions but that one i didn't get to see as much so yeah i think uh, another neat detail is that when you blow up the weak points on all four sides the box itself is completely destroyed so the stack of boxes actually falls down and gets shorter. It's um, I think it's actually like uh, there is a bit of a trend, I suppose, with the bosses and the use of gyro. In that with Sironon and uh, with the mainframe, you're you're not just attacking an enemy, but your attacks have some other kind of um, consequence, which then affects your later attacks. So whether that be you know shooting off um, the puzzle pieces um, on the on um, Sironon to reveal the area underneath so you know your where you choose on to shoot will will therefore affect where you then have visual access to later on or in you know, in this um, um, in this boss battle uh, against on the mainframe where your <clears throat> um, you attacking will then displace or will shorten the tower of boxes and so it's kind of neat how there's like a how the um reaction to your shooting is a bit more dynamic mm -hmm. in that sense oh and i think that's true as well in um in sorkin where you shoot yeah. off its um armored plates uh just a detail to bring up about the boxes you know collapsing once you blow up each side is that actually makes it um easier to shoot so 
Remember how I said it was more reactive because any one of the boxes could randomly open? Well, when there's, you know, two or one left, that means there's less for you to physically tilt up or down uh, in order to adjust aim and react to which box opens. The more of those are destroyed. And then we finally arrive at the last boss battle. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. Uh, you face off against Samus, um, or at least a giant morph ball of Samus. And it is a very interesting battle indeed. Uh, it's quite similar in a sense to um, to Blast Ball. And this mission, Mission 22, is called Convergence, just for reference. And this was a very um, slightly frustrating boss battle, but I will tell you why soon. And um, Adrian, could you run us through this one? Thank you. Okay. So just like the last two bosses, there are three phases. In the first, fa first phase... Samus will roll around and occasionally spin dash at a random player's position. As she's rolling around, you want to try to take out her, the two green glowing weak points on her sides. Now the tricky part of this is that they're not in the center where her axis of rotation is. Is that right? Axis of rotation? Whatever. The point is, is because they're on the side on, of a rolling sphere, that means they move around in 3D space in a more complicated way because they're on the face of a sphere. But they also have the uh, the design of the, like, you can follow her movement and the design of the morph ball to tell where it will be going. It's not just, like, kind of randomly sliding around. Yeah. So it'll, you know, move in a circle or whatever you call the arc it makes when something is rolling on the edge of a sphere and Samus herself will never roll in a straight line she'll usually be curving around at the same time so you try to use that to your best advantage my best guesstimate of what her movement pattern is so imagine these the there's a circle in the arena and you can cut up that circle into four smaller circles Samus will curve on those circles and uh, and occasionally uh, move from one circle into another circle. She never has to complete a circle, so that's why you see her almost bumblebee-like curving motion. She rarely moves in straight lines. Of course, at any point during that, she can randomly stop and then do a spin dash at a random player. That is probably the best time to use a slow beam or a freeze, because then those green points are on her axis of rotation, or at least whatever you call that part of a rolling sphere that doesn't actually change position they're on her sides they're on her sides yeah and that's probably when it's um, the best opportunity to actually hit her weak points also as samus is moving around she will occasionally drop a blue morph ball bomb so watch out for those because if you get hit by those you fail the bonus mission now once you blow up samus's weak points you then have to shoot her and knock her into the electric barriers uh, surrounding the room. And from there, it becomes a lot like Blast Ball. So this is where players have to coordinate amongst themselves in order to shoot her into the electric barriers. As she's hit into an electric barrier, it's powered off. So you have to make sure to shoot her into a new barrier each time. And that's the bit I found frustrating. <laughs> and I don't think we really talk to each other and coordinate our attacks. We're just like, um, I can see an electric gate, and then shoot, 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 and then we just yeah. kind of like 
<laughs> There's yeah. also two uh, two complicating pieces. One is that she's still able to she's still able to move under her own power. So you're fighting mm-hmm. against her, and also when she does the spin dash attack, she'll knock out those electric gates. So yep. she gives you less room to work with. Yeah. So in phase two, so with each phase, Samus actually gets smaller. But that doesn't actually mean uh, she gets slower. She actually moves at the same speed as she was in her largest phase. So not only do her weak points get smaller, uh, she stays just as deadly as she was when she was at her largest. This time in phase two, Samus will go up the spider ball tracks. And when she's doing this, she can drop morph ball bombs down down on you. These are usually the where she drops the red ones, and those are more dangerous because they release a bigger explosion. It's also hard to get a visual on that weak point as well when she's up on the um, up on the spider ball. Yeah, and when she's on the spider ball tracks, that's where you really need to lead your shots in order to hit her. And this is also a more complicated way to lead your shots because she's moving in a circle, so it's a curved. That's how you have to lead it. You have to on that curved path. And as she moves to the center, she will then drop down and, you know, do a ground slam that everyone needs to jump over. And then she can either resume randomly moving around and while breaking off to spin dash someone or go back up the spider ball tracks. That is also how her third phase works. But that time even smaller. What I liked about this boss battle more so than uh, in Blast Ball is that once you've shot... Samus's morph ball in the phase where you're able to knock it around like a uh, like a blast ball. There's a slight pause before it moves, and I found that just really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought that was really useful for being able to um, make sense of what was going on. Yeah, I guess you might say um, it, this boss makes the most complicated use of gyro because the spheres. I think we've mentioned in a prior podcast. Um, there's spheres you have to push around sometimes using your shots. And, you know, they have pool or billiard-like physics where, depending on where you shoot the ball, they go in a different direction. And this boss uses that, um, you know, Samus behaves in that way, so your skills come to play. Uh, But Samus also changes sizes throughout the fight so that, um, you know, when she's a larger sphere... It's easier to hit her where you want to, and so as a consequence, as she gets smaller, uh, you have less leeway to actually shoot her. And also, this is the first and only time that a sphere like has a will of its own. Um, even in Blast Ball, when you're fighting another team, you can tell that team is going to be, you know, <laughs> that team's going to be pushing the ball towards your goal somehow. But here, uh, you're fighting against a an AI whose intentions are not exactly clear uh, when you're trying to push Samus into the wall, and I think that complicates that phase a lot. Yeah. It's also that the appearance of a ball doesn't really suggest any kind of, um, any kind of, like, I mean, there's not, like, enough character and personality in that to provide any obvious tells. You can't tell where she's looking. Yeah, and... They do have this thing where, like, I think there's, like, a blue glowing, um, like, there's a blue glow that'll form on the ball when it's going to do, like, a, 
like a charge roll, um, like into one particular direction. So there is that, which is helpful, but it's not humanoid or animal like in its um in its form and that makes it harder to predict sometimes although i guess that only really becomes a problem when the when the speed of the ball's movement increases um initially in the first half of the boss it's not really too bad because it doesn't tend to move that quickly so i think uh, another thing that makes shooting her into the electric barriers more complicated is that the nature of how samus you know, tries to attack you is going to n break up the players more as they're trying to shoot at her because of her moving around. I guess also just one more correction is that in the second phase, it appears that she exclusively uses the spider ball tracks. It's the third phase where she will alternate between randomly moving around, spin dashing, and using the spider ball tracks. But just in that first phase alone, and even when she's moving on the spider ball tracks, dropping morphal bombs, that naturally gets players to split up. And when everyone's split up and they can each be on a different part of the arena, when Samus uh, is vulnerable, uh, sometimes you'll actually have, they won't have an agreed upon direction from which to shoot her towards. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, yeah, yeah, it's a good point. I, um, That's one of the problems sometimes is that, you know, someone says a really good point. It's like, it's a good point. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no one wants to just, I sometimes I really should just point. say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, LOL. Like, I give it a like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I acknowledge it's a thing that exists. <laughs> no. Um, yeah. But I mean, cause I'll, uh, and then other times, you know, we can build off what each other's saying. Um, Something else I want to add as well is that, um, oh, two things, I guess. When, uh, obviously, when there's fewer gates, um, the players have to be a bit more precise about how they're directing the ball. And so the further you get through that phase, the more of a stress there is on the player communication. I honestly mm -hmm. don't know what the pattern or timing is for the gates respawning, but they do come back. Yeah, they do. I think the problem with the um, um, with directing Samus is that generally we all tend to be at different points, at, you know, like at different areas in the um, circular arena, and so our instinct is to is to shoot the ball face on, but that trajectory is different for the three of us, and because we have that sort of the instantaneous oh like. Like it's attack phase, and we should be exploiting this. We'll kind of um, jump to the easiest thing that we can do to influence mm -hmm. on the game state, and that's often not helpful. Um, yeah, in uh, in Adrian's video, you can see there's one time when Samus is exposed, and Adrian has like a perfect shot lined up, and then I blast it right out of the way. Probably because <laughs> I had a perfect shot lined up too. It's just <laughs> it doesn't work when. <laughs> and two people have to agree on the same. Yeah. And actually, uh, the ironic thing is that because we're split up, um, if we all don't communicate, then we're more likely to knock the um, uh, senses more into each other than into the walls itself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's also quite timely, isn't it, that at the very end of the game, 
they have a boss battle that's very similar to the standalone multiplayer basketball mode. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so it's kind of like you finish the campaign now. Why don't you continue playing something very similar to this boss battle, basketball? Yeah. I guess uh, another interesting thing is that the morph ball bombs that she drops in the later phases, she can actually do them while spin dashing, and they move. That is, they still carry a little bit of the momentum from when she was moving. She drops three at once, and they also collide with each other. And so that is the bosses, or they are the bosses in Metroid Prime Federation Force. Um, there are, you know, as we've noted, there are some similarities in their design, but they're all pretty, you know, fairly unique, memorable um, encounters. Um, for the next podcast, we are more than likely going to talk about loadouts mods and strategies so please stay tuned for that um my name is daniel and i've been joined by adrian and greg and we'll see you in the next podcast